Good morning. If you would uh, turn with me to Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22. That is part of the reading for today, for the daily Bible reading, um, our, which is our kind of trip through the Bible in a little over a year. So we hope that you're doing that with us. Uh, online, you can get a schedule. Out in the foyer, you can get a schedule. Uh, but every day there's some readings throughout the whole Bible. And uh, today's Old Testament passage is Genesis 22. It's going to be a familiar passage to you, um, but hopefully um, today you can take away some new things, uh, new things from it and some encouragement from it. So if you've been around the church long enough, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you probably are familiar with the language that Christians use, that church people use. It's called Christianese. I don't know if you've heard that before, but it is. We have our own little language, and sometimes people who aren't involved don't really understand what it is. They don't always understand the heart that these things are coming from, but we have our own language. I actually wanted to share some of that with you, just so you have an example of what I'm talking about. Um, so I found this list, and here are some phrases that Christians say to each other, and here's a translation for sometimes what they actually mean. So the first phrase in Christianese is this, if it be God's will, translation, I really don't think God is going to answer that one. But if it's his will, he will. We say that, don't we? Uh, here's another one. Let's see. The Christianese phrase, that's not my spiritual gift. Translation, you need to find someone else. Uh, how about this one? The Christianese phrase is, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Translation, I'm totally clueless. I have no idea. Don't we say these things sometimes? Uh, another Christianese uh, phrase, you know, I just don't feel led to do that. And the translation is, you can't make me. Here's a good one that I really liked and I've used. Uh, here's the phrase, God really helped me with this test. And the translation, I didn't study, but I guessed really good. So I'm giving God the credit and hopefully he'll help me again next time. Don't we use those things? That's kind of funny. I've used those. You've used those probably, or at least you've heard them. There's another phrase that came to mind, a Christianese phrase that came to my mind when I was studying Genesis 22 this week. And actually, it's one that I don't think we should use anymore. And I'm going to get into why. And I think we should, um, actually, we should fix it. Because sometimes when people hear these things and they don't know what we're talking about, they don't understand where our hearts are. And, and we laughed at some of those. And sometimes we really mean those things. Like if I say, well, it's God's will, I'm actually thinking that, yeah, I can't control it. But in God's will, whatever he wants will happen, will happen. So it's kind of funny. Um, but at the same time, our hearts are usually sincere when we say those things. And, and in Genesis chapter 22, there is a, this is a time in Abraham's life when he is tested uh, beyond anything he could ever have imagined. And so the phrase that came to mind that I've heard people say, that people have said to me, and that I've said to people, the phrase that came to mind is, well, Abraham, God won't give you anything you can't handle. 
Have you heard that one before? Usually we say that when someone's in the midst of a struggle and they need encouragement and the sentiment and the meaning generally is, listen, God will help you through this. You, you, you are able to get through this. God's not going to give you anything you can't handle. And I think that that's actually the wrong way of saying what we mean. I think we should change the phrase. We should change the sentence to uh, from God won't give you anything you can't handle to God won't give you anything he can't handle. Because I imagine that when God came to Abraham in chapter 22, after Abraham had an evening and a night and, you know, 12 plus hours to consider what was asked, he probably sat there and thought, this is impossible. I can't do this. I mean, I'm just taking that from being a fellow human being who's gone through some things. You've gone through some things. When we're in the midst of the trial, when we're faced with a test, when suffering is all upon us, don't we sit there and think, man, I really can't handle this. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we do. And so I think what we should start saying to each other is, by way of encouragement and hope, is God won't give you anything he can't handle. And so uh, I want to look at the story here in Genesis 22. And then at the end, I kind of want to prove to you how that's true for God here in this specific situation that he didn't give Abraham. He didn't bring anything into Abraham's life that he could not handle himself and actually proved in time and in history and in space that he could handle everything he asked Abraham to do. So, uh, let's start in verse 1. We're going to try and quickly go through the story here and take away some, um, some encouragement and some lessons from the Lord. So in Genesis 22, this is now near the end of Abraham's time in the Bible. So we're, getting, we're just a couple of chapters away from his death, and, and he's not going to be a major player uh, or the main character um, going forward. So we're kind of near the end of his time. And it says this, Now it came to pass... After these things that God tested Abraham. We could probably spend this whole sermon time together just unpacking what that means. Um, when I was looking at this, that, that caught me uh, right away. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Well, what does it mean after these things? Well, I think you can go all the way back to chapter 12 where Abraham first comes into the picture and you can take everything that happened from chapter 12 to chapter 22. And after all that stuff, God tested Abraham. I wonder if Abraham thought back or maybe Moses, when he was writing this, he thought back and he kind of laughed a little bit because that's a really big understatement. <laughs> after all these things, God tested Abraham. There were so many tests that Abraham experienced before now that um, I, I just had to laugh when I, when I read that. Now it came to pass, after all that stuff, God tested Abraham. What was some of that stuff that happened to him? Well, in chapter 12, he was called away from his home and his family. He is a man with a wife and no kids, and he is called to go away from the safety and security of his family and his home, possibly at the expense of his family line, because he has no one to carry on his name, and he's supposed to go to a new land. He's supposed to follow God. So right off the bat, he's faced with the test in chapter 12. 
and he obeys and he follows the Lord. And then what happens is a series of failures and a series of victories and tests and trials and sufferings that Abraham experiences. Um, trouble with national leaders, right? The, he encountered the Pharaoh of Egypt and he lied to the Pharaoh of Egypt because he wasn't sure that God could keep him safe. Uh, and then he had to learn the hard way that, yeah, God was going to keep him safe. And then he lied to Abimelech just a few chapters actually before uh, chapter 22 here in the same kind of a situation because he wasn't sure God was going to keep him safe. And, and so he had these failures, but he also had great victories in that you remember his nephew Lot and Lot's family was growing and Abraham's family and, and possessions were growing and they couldn't live together. And so there was family strife and Abraham mediated that family strife wisely and in a way that honored God. And they were both blessed because of it. And so he had victories and he had uh, military victories when Lot was captured and Abraham was able to go and to rescue him. And he went and he was going to the land that God had promised him. But of course he had failures along the way as well. And even though he had a really great family reconciliation victory in, uh, with Lot, he uh, really divided his family later on with Hagar and Ishmael when he tried to engineer himself the fulfillment of God's promise to him. And, uh, and that caused so much strife in his family and so much division. And that was something that the people of God through Isaac and the people through Ishmael were to have been divided on, I mean, all the way up until today. That is a failure that has impacted the world all the way up until today. But then in, in, in chapter 15, you remember that God made a covenant with Abraham despite his failures and despite his victories that only came because of God. He made a covenant with Abraham where he promised him several things, promised him a land of his own. He promised him to be a blessing to all the world. And he promised him, and this is kind of the focus of chapter 22. He promised him a son. Abraham didn't have any kids of his own and God had promised to make him a great nation. And so Abraham had been thinking several times throughout his journey from chapter 12 to chapter 22. How am I going to make God's promise come true? And, tried with Ishmael and he tried to give his, um, he tried to give another family member um, the status of his heir and all these things. God said, no, 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 you're going to have a son. And Abraham laughed at God and Sarah laughed at God. And they said, that's impossible. It can't happen. It can't happen. It won't happen. And finally, in chapter 21, when Abraham's a hundred years old, he has a son. Finally, God's promise is beginning to be realized in a way that Abraham finally understands. And so then we get to chapter 22 and this is several years later. It's not right the next day or anything like that. Isaac is a little bit grown up now. And we get to chapter 22 and it says, now it came to pass after all those things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. And God said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, just to be clear here, Abraham, take Isaac, the key to the fulfillment of my promise, the one you waited all your life for. Take that son, the one whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And here's the test, Abraham. Here's what I want you to do. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
Abraham, take your son, the one you love, the only son that is yours, that will be the heir, that will fulfill the promise, that will start to turn you into this great nation. Take the one you waited for, the one you laughed about, the one that I showed you that I really mean business when I promise you these things. Take that son, go to the land of Moriah, build an altar there, kill your son in worship of me. That thing you hold dearest, Abraham, take that and sacrifice it to me. A natural question we might ask is, why would God ask him that? And I can't answer that exactly. I can give you some thoughts um, that I would like to give you just um, before we move on here. But um, from what I've seen of the Lord throughout his word and what I understand that he says about trials and tests and sufferings and things like that is I, this from James in James one, he says, you know, Paul says, here's why we suffer. Here's why you are tested. Here's why you have trials is because they are meant to grow you. They are meant to perfect you. They are meant to complete you so that you lack nothing. So when we are faced with these things, God is coming to us and saying, you lack something. Your faith needs to be stronger. Your trust needs to be deeper. And I'm going to present you with the situation for that to happen. So what I deduced from the reason God would ask Abraham, this is maybe Abraham was in a place now near the end of his life where promises had been fulfilled that he'd seen and at least started to be fulfilled and things were really good. And maybe he thought to himself, I've made it. I'm here. Everything's good. We're good. And God wanted to show him, Abraham, there's still something for you to learn. Even Abraham, the great Abraham, the father of our faith, The, a hero of the Bible, one who is, is held in high esteem, who the Jewish people held in the highest of esteems <laughs> over and over again. Even that man needed to learn something more about trusting in the Lord. That's what I think might be a reason for why God asks this. But again, I don't have any evidence to back that up. That's purely speculation. So anyway, God tests Abraham and he asks him to do this impossible tasks. Now, if someone had come to him, his friend came to him and said, don't worry, Abraham, God's not going to give you anything you can't handle. Imagine being Abraham, who was just asked by God to kill your son. And ask and, and imagine, would you be able to say, oh, yeah, I got that. I can do this. I don't know. I think he might have a tough time saying I could handle this. So there's this interesting thing that happens in between verse two and verse three. So verse two, God comes and gives him this test. And in verse three, it's the next day. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the word wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place God had told him. So something happens between verse two and verse three, where God lays out the test, the command, and Abraham then the next morning is able to get up and to start to carry it out. Maybe it's true. Maybe God wouldn't give him anything he couldn't handle. Maybe Abraham could handle this. Uh, let's go on in verse four. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. So Abraham gets up and he gets everything ready and he takes Isaac 
And then he walks three days to the land of Moriah. Three days. So that night he had to wrestle with what he was going to do. He decides that he's going to take the steps to do it. And then he spends three days walking with his son. You th- I mean, I, what is going through his mind? What is he feeling? Is he sick to his stomach as he's walking closer and closer to the place where he has to kill his son to honor the Lord? And he's going and they're walking and they get there. And in verse five, it says, and Abraham said to his young men, after they finally made it to the base of the mountain, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Did you catch that? Did you catch what he said there? Stay here with the donkey, you other two guys. And Isaac and I will go yonder and worship and we come back to you. Abraham is stepping out in faith and in faith, he's saying, Isaac is going to come back with me when we're done with this. Now, if someone came to him the the night before and said, Abraham, God won't give you anything you can't handle. Maybe Abraham got up and said, you're right. I can handle this. Let's do this. But I think the opposite is true. I think Abraham said that night, I can't handle this. But then I think something else happened. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. This is why I think we shouldn't say God can't, won't give us anything we can't handle. And we should say God won't give us anything he can't handle. Hebrews chapter 11, where we get an insight into exactly what Abraham was thinking, or at least the conclusion he came to that evening as he was deciding whether or not he was going to obey the Lord. And the conclusion he must have had to remind himself of over and over again as he spent three days walking with his son, maybe the last three days he would spend with him. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17, it says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promised promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. So then in verse 19, we get an insight into what Abraham was thinking. Abraham concluded that God was able to raise him, that's Isaac, up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham was convinced that God would make things right, and specifically that God would resurrect Isaac from that altar. Abraham was convinced of that. So convinced of that, that he was able the next morning after God had issued um, his command, that he was able that next morning to get up and get everything ready and start walking towards Moriah. And then he was able to spend the next three days walking towards Moriah, believing, coming back to to the fact that God would make things right. Because I think Abraham understood that God wasn't going to give Abraham any trouble that God couldn't handle himself. Because there's no way if Abraham went through with it or was going to go through with it and God wasn't there for him, that anything good was ever going to come of that. The line of Abraham was going to be, was was done after sacrificing Isaac. If God's not involved, Abraham has no hope of anything good coming from this test. So Abraham's convinced of that. And then he can say to these other guys, stay here. We're going to go and worship and we're both coming back to you at the end. The picture 
of faith and complete trust that Abraham shows for us is something we must, we must learn and practice in our own lives. That same God who could handle uh, the issue or the problem or the, the, the great uh, suffering that Abraham was expecting to, to go through, that same God who Abraham was also convinced would make things right, that same God is the God we serve today. I don't know if God will ever come to you and say, go sacrifice your son or daughter. But he certainly asks us to do impossible things all the time in many different ways. And the same God who Abraham was convinced would make things right and would help and would be there and would act and would work, that same God is the God we serve today. So no matter what is happening around you, no matter what trial or test or suffering you may be in the midst of, you can trust. I ask, I beg you to trust in that God to get to the point where you convince yourself at the end of every argument, at the end of wrestling with it, even if you're still feeling sick to your stomach about what you have to do, trust that obedience to God is the best and only way through. So not only do we see a picture of Abraham's faith in this moment, but um, we see a picture of Isaac's faith as well. He's kind of the silent player in this story, although he, he talks a little bit, but, but we really don't focus on him much or, or think about him much. But, but look at what uh, the faith that Isaac has to display as well. So in verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. So he got all the stuff together that they needed to build this altar and to make a sacrifice to worship God. And they went together. And so they're walking up in verse seven and Isaac spoke to his father and, and he asks, he says, look, I see everything that we need except the most important thing. We've got the wood, we've got the stone, we've got the fire, we've got the knife, we've got the rope, but we don't have the lamb to sacrifice. So he asks his dad, where is the lamb? And Abraham said in verse eight, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. You see, again, Abraham, we just get this picture of he is, I mean, I, I feel like it's a picture of all he can do is trust that God will make things right, that God will honor the promise he made about Isaac, that God will come through in the midst of this dark and hard and difficult hour. And he says, God will provide. Now, Isaac doesn't say anything else, but we still learn a lot about Isaac because he doesn't just say, wait a minute, this seems fishy. He doesn't say, I don't know about this. He trusts, he goes, he continues to walk with Abraham. Abraham says, God will provide. And he must've thought, okay, then he's going to provide. I pray he provides. And then they get there and you see more of Isaac's faith when they start getting ready and they build the altar together. And then there comes the moment when Isaac realizes he's going on that altar. We don't 
get any sort of uh, conversation between them two. So I don't know how it played out. But I do know that Isaac willingly went to that altar. Abraham's well over 100 years old. Isaac is a young guy. There was no way if Isaac didn't want to let any of that happen, that he couldn't have easily gotten away from Abraham, that he couldn't have easily have, have, have flipped the script and changed it all. He could have, but Isaac chose to be faithful to his father and to trust him as well. So this is the point in the, the movie, the story, when everything's reaching its crescendo and Isaac is bound and he's laying there and he knows what's going on. And, he, and, and Abraham raises his knife and he's getting ready to plunge it down into his son, kill his son. All the while, I'm sure he is praying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Where, will you come through? Please come through. The only way was to obey the Lord. That's the only way Abraham could see to get through this. And right before he brings it down and he slays his son and he kills off his line. And right before it seems like maybe the Lord wasn't going to fulfill his promise. Then we have verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And God said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me in the midst of Abraham getting ready to do the hardest, most impossible thing he could have ever been asked to do up until that point in his life. God steps in and he handles the situation. He steps in and he says, Abraham, there's no need for you to do that anymore. Abraham, you've passed the test. Abraham, you have victory. Abraham, you've done what you needed to do. And Abraham, I don't think he could have ever looked at God and said, yep, I did that because I could handle this. God got me ready to do this. I think God was getting him ready to do this, but there's nothing in Abraham that made him able to pass this test. There's nothing in Abraham that gave him the victory. There was only because of his faith and obedience to God and God gave him the victory. And the Lord is gracious and merciful in an amazing set of circumstances right in front of their eyes. When he says, Abraham, don't kill your son. Turn around. There's a ram ready to be sacrificed. And Abraham looks and Isaac looks and they see this ram. And God has brought this out of nothing. He brought this to them. Something that wasn't there before. And it was there. And he provided a sacrifice. And Isaac got up off that altar and they worshiped the Lord. And I can't imagine the relief that they both must have felt. And the great joy that they must have felt and the gratitude to the Lord that they must have felt in the fact that he came in and he helped them and gave them the victory in the darkest of moments. And not only does he provide a sacrifice for him, but then God in verse 15 comes again and he basically reaffirms the covenant and the promises he made to Abraham. And this is a great time. God really knows the best times to bring this stuff up because right after he saves them 
Then he says, now, won't you trust me when I tell you, when I promise you things, when I tell you what's going to happen? The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time and he said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not held withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of the enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So that's how God works, isn't it? He doesn't just give us good gifts. He gives us abundantly good gifts. He gives us more than we could ever even imagine. And in the midst of saving Isaac and Abraham, then he reiterates and he says, Abraham, now you see, right, that I will provide for you. I will keep my promises. I am trustworthy. So I said before that I wanted to prove that God wasn't going to give Abraham anything God couldn't himself handle. So um, I don't think I have to do too much work to convince you that Genesis 22 is obviously a picture of what's to come in the work of Jesus. It's, it's just, it's obvious. It's obvious that what Abraham is doing to his son is a foreshadowing of what God will choose to do to his son, Jesus. But God goes further than Abraham. Because while Abraham was saved from slaying his son, God the Father did not stop to slay his son. And not only did he have to go through with it because that was his plan, but the Bible makes it clear that the Lord was pleased to slay Christ for you. To carry out the plan of redemption, God was pleased to slay his only son. It doesn't mean it was easy. That doesn't mean it was joyful. Jesus experienced the full wrath and punishment and righteous anger for sin. I don't think that moment was anything pleasant. But the, Jesus was willing to experience that from the Lord for you. And the Lord was happy to send his son to die for you. And he did what Abraham didn't have to do. No one came to substitute for Jesus. Jesus was the substitute for you and me. And the Lord was happy to do that so that you and I could be called sons and daughters of the king so that you and I could not be enemies anymore, but could be friends so that you and I could be redeemed and we didn't have to pay the penalty that we owed for our sin, but that we could experience everlasting relationship and joy with God and Christ. The Lord didn't ask Abraham to do anything he wasn't himself willing to do. And he didn't give him anything he couldn't handle because the Lord was able to complete that whole thing. So what's the lesson what should we take from this? A couple of things. We need to be like Abraham 
when we are in the midst of a test and a trial, when we are in the midst of suffering, we need to take a moment, step back from it, and consider a few things. The first thing we can need to consider is that God won't give us anything he can't handle. What's he asking me to do? What's he asking me to do? And what's he giving me the ability to do? I don't think Abraham was going to get up and sacrifice his son unless he was convinced that God was going to handle the situation and make things right. And the point is, I mean, if it's the same God then and it's the same God now, and he hasn't changed since then, he hasn't changed how he operates. He hasn't changed what he says. He hasn't changed what he asks of his people. If it's the same then, then can't we trust him now the same way? Only through our faith, our implicit trust in God, can we hope to have victory through whatever comes our way in this life. And not just whatever God allows to happen to us, but whatever God brings purposefully into our path. That's another thing we like to say in Christianity. God allowed that to happen. Or God lets that happen. God doesn't just let things happen. God brings things. He is sovereign over all. And he has a plan of how he's growing you and I closer to him. And there's nothing that happens by accident or that was just given a pass. God brings everything into our life for a purpose. And so can't we have that same trust? Yeah, we can, right? But we should. We should. We have to. The only way to face these things and to come out through them and to come out with victory and to come out with them making any sort of sense is to have trust in the fact that God brought this into my life and God wants me to grow from it and God will see me through because there's nothing in me that can make it possible for this to make any sense. God will give us more than we can handle. I'm convinced of that. But God will never give us anything more than he can handle. So when trials and tests come your way, when suffering comes your way, when it looks like it's the darkest it's ever been, when you can't make sense of what's going on around you, trust in the goodness of God. Purpose in your heart to trust in the goodness of God. That doesn't mean you don't question. That doesn't mean you don't struggle. That doesn't mean you don't feel sick to your stomach. That doesn't f mean that everything is just fine and, and, and it'll just be all great. I don't think Abraham thought that three-day trip was great. But he kept taking each step, each step in faith that God was good and was going to make things right. And so we need to trust in God's goodness, and that needs to lead us to acting obediently to the Lord. What do you need to do? What will God have you do in the midst of whatever's going on in your life right now? That test, that trial, that suffering, that darkness. What would God have you do? Maybe it's as simple as just getting down on your knees and praying and saying, Lord, show me what to do. Or maybe he's given you a task that you know you need to do, but it feels impossible. Will you trust in his goodness that he will make things right, no matter what the outcome right now feels like or looks like? And will you act obediently to the Lord? And take that one step at a time. It's a long way to Moriah. It takes three days to walk there. That's a lot of steps that Abraham had to keep taking. One more, one more, one more. Let's pray.
Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and for the examples we have of these faithful men and women. Father, we know they weren't perfect. We know we're not perfect, Father. We praise you. are so thankful that you are gracious and merciful despite our weaknesses. Father, I pray that we would never think that we can handle whatever comes, but we would instantly run to you when anything comes that's difficult, Father. There's nothing that you can't handle. We know that. You've proven that by sending your son. Father, remind us of that constantly, daily, that if you're in control and you are all about making your goodwill happen, then we have hope no matter what. And Father, we can't handle the situation, but we know you can. So Father, show us how we need to act, how we need to respond, how we need to obey in every situation that we're unsure of what to do. You promise to be with us. You're not some faraway God who, who occasionally steps in now and then, but you are deeply invested and continually committed to this creation. Father, help us to understand that so that we can share that with others who need to know the hope of Christ. Father, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.